the concept of reinvention, even though there are a lot of innovation principles in there, but putting more of an emphasis on let's revisit what we've done in the past, but let's rethink it and let's test it, let's eliminate the risk, then people got more excited by it. Mm. And I think especially in the current economy and current corona economy and all that stuff that's going on now, so the concept of reinvention is right on brand and it's what people want right now. Welcome to the Kind Boss Podcast, brought to you by Outsourcing Angel, an Australian-based social enterprise that specializes in helping business owners free up their time and reduce staffing costs, while helping to create employment opportunities for people in developing countries. Visit OutsourcingAngel.com today. Now, let me welcome your host, Lynn Padetti. Hello, kind listeners. I'm your host, Lynn Pedetti. Today, we'll be speaking to a kind boss, Niels Vesk, innovation expert and founder of Ideas with Legs. As a futurist and an international authority on innovation, Niels has used his unique game-changing innovation techniques to formulate commercial insights, ideas, extraordinary customer experiences, and irresistible products for his global clients. Niels is also the inventor of the Innovation Archetypes process, which empowers organizations to forge forward in new markets whilst driving incredible commercial returns. Listen on as Niels unpacks his tried and proven million-dollar innovation principles that have brought about rapid growth and success for his clients. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Kind Boss Podcast. And today I have Niels Vesk. How are you? Really well, thank you. Excellent. Thanks for having us, guys. No worries. And you are very unique. I've never heard kind of this, the ideas guy, the ideas expert. Like, where did that come from? Is it because you're, were you always full of ideas that made you become an expert in this field? Yeah, good question. No, I actually was not really any more innovative or creative than anyone else. But I did go to design school at university and sort of, I guess, what people would now talk about design thinking. But I found like once I I finished uni that I actually had to work harder to become more creative. And what I found was that even though they taught you how to design, they didn't necessarily teach you how to become creative. So kind of very early on in my career, I started pouring into everything from lateral thinking techniques to problem solving and amassed a huge stack of different idea generation techniques over the years. And that's when I thought, you know what, I'm going to make things easier for other people in ways that they can become more innovative. So now, yeah, I've just got some really good processes that I share with people so they can be innovative as well. That's amazing because I think I had a limiting belief as well growing up. I wanted to start a business, but I have no idea. I also told myself that I'm not a creative person. So are you saying that it's something that you can learn and become someone so good at ideas that you probably can't stop thinking of ideas, right? Because I think most of us probably think that we're just not that type to think of the ideas incredibly true anyone can become innovative like I've, I've had everyone from a receptionist to someone in the warehouse to someone who's a laborer being able to share great ideas and it really just comes down to learning a technique it's kind of like if i ask you this question right now lynn what are all of the ways that you could make sure that you lose some customers tomorrow would you be able to answer that question Wow. I've never thought of that. It's in the power of the question. It's like, yeah, I can. It's just, I've never been asked that. 
And so the reason why we can do that really, really well or really easily is that it, it taps into what we call our negativity bias. And the human brain over millennia or thousands of years has evolved to look for things that are wrong, look for faults, look for mistakes. I don't know if you remember those puzzles and newspapers that used to go in the kids' cartoons that say, spot the difference. We're very good yes, at, at I love finding that. mistakes. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so if you use that as a starting point, you could say, like, let's say you wanted to look at a relatively small business type of audience here. If you were going to go, you wanted to look at what are some ideas that you could re-engage with your customer, right? And what you can do is actually start with the opposite. So one way you could go is what are all the ways we could make sure that our customers don't want to hear from us? And so, yeah, that's easy. Okay, well, we send them 10 emails a day. We send them really annoying advertising material. We keep just promoting something that they've already bought. And once we've got those things down, because that negative bias is really good at finding them, then we go, okay, now that we've got them written down, what would be the complete opposite? Oh, okay. Well, if calling them 10 times a day is going to annoy them, maybe we, we only call them once a week. Or if sending them lots of meaningless brochure information doesn't work, then maybe the opposite might be to actually call them up and just check in and say, hey, we're kind of curious. What's something that's going on for you at the moment? We've noticed that you're no longer using our product. What, what's something else? That's just a technique. So when I had go to a workshop and I've got those people with the arms crossed <laughs> up the back going, you're not going to get innovation from us. So just go, well, you know, let's say, for example, we're looking at projects. Um, how do we execute a project? We say, okay, who reckons we've got a few ways that we can make sure that we go over time when we execute a project and everyone starts coming up with all of, it, all of these ideas. And then we go, what's the complete opposite? And then we might go, well, some of the opposite things might be a little bit radical. We go, well, what is doable? So I often use, like, mm. if you can imagine a sheet with three columns. So you draw two lines down, one which is what are all the ways that, you know, that we can stop achieving it. On the far right, we would do what are all the crazy opposites and then what can we get away with in the middle? And um, that's how you can generate ideas. So again, it's awesome. just a tip. Let's say as a business owner, you're probably, you know, care about your business enough to keep trying to think of ideas. How do you actually motivate your team? What, what's in it for them to become more ideas generated as well? You know, it's kind of interesting. Like the research shows that if we want to motivate someone and the reality is we're 100% motivated all the time. It's just that we're motivated to do what we want. So some people might be motivated to have a, a cruisy day, you know, and not work very hard. So we, mm. we can't necessarily change that. But some of the things that we can do is to look at what type of recognition that we give. A lot of people mm. think, well, if we give financial reward or remuneration, that will work. Now the research shows that only works when we've got a very, task driven thing or repetitive type thing like i've got to do a certain amount of data input or that but when you can actually provide someone with a curious challenge they're actually more interested in solving it for the sake of solving it and if you mm -hmm. can actually just give them recognition so what we do is we create novelty prizes so we might have like a, a crazy duck award that you get a rubber duck that you get because you come up with the idea and so recognition is probably one of the best ways of doing it the other way that we can kind of inspire or motivate people around this is to gamify it and that is that what we want to do every week apart from getting things out the door and doing what we're doing is we want to generate 10 new ideas on how we can deliver an amazing customer experience and so we create a scoreboard just like any other game does we have some rules that the idea must be an idea that we haven't done before or you know it can only be executed with 
$20 budget or whatever it might be. And then we have a time frame, So we need to have that by the end of the day. So creating games around sharing ideas is another way that we can motivate people to, to come up with solutions. Interesting. So I haven't had to go down that path because the problem with me is I'm the one with all the ideas. So because of my, I guess I have more free time as an owner now, and I'm always working over the business, looking in, I'm able to come up with a lot of ideas. Now, my next challenge is going, it's the team knowing which idea to go with. And so we kind of like made up a process where I'm just sharing with one of my operations manager, like I dump everything, all the ideas into a Slack channel. He puts it in mm-hmm. Excel and try to prioritize what he thinks is important. But the next challenge is we don't even review it. It's almost like there's too many ideas. By the time the next idea comes, I'm already bored of old ideas. So what would be your advice around that? Great that you've got lots of ideas because quantity overrides quality. What you're probably looking for is how can I actually pick the right idea to work on? And there's a couple of kind of criteria that you can use. I guess the first thing is to think about is the problem that you're trying to solve something that people actually want solving? Because sometimes we think, oh, you know, we've got this really good idea for these clients. And we go, well, actually, before we actually go out there and do it, let's test that this is something that people are willing to do. And so part of that then almost goes into what we call validation or testing. So you could do some searches. You could look on a forum group. You could look on, you know, a LinkedIn group. You could look on if you've got a big enough business, you might have customer service logs. You might look where people are basically venting what's going on. And if they're continually talking about that one little item, then you go, okay, well, actually, that's given us some evidence. If we don't have evidence ourselves, then we need to go out and kind of find that. So you might kind of look at, hey, we've kind of, we've noticed that a couple of our clients have been talking about this being a bit of a bottleneck for them or a pain point. Does this resonate with you? You know, here's a quick little survey or something. And yeah, because when we've got the data, then we can go, okay, right, people want that problem solved. Let's go there and do it. So that, that's one way to help mm-hmm. select which idea. The other one is to think about how many unknowns are there? So let's say if you were to say, Nils, I want you to go out and build an app tomorrow, or I think we should build an app. I go, okay, I like, and there's a problem that needs to be solved. Good. But then I would go, okay, how many unknowns are there in, for me in solving that app or Is it going to be difficult for me to get the technical skills or support to do that? Now, it'd be relatively easy to outsource that, but I still might be going, I'm not sure about it. That's maybe too many unknowns for my kind of confidence levels or for the risk levels that I'm willing to do. The third thing might be looking at what kind of return of investment might you get from Mm. it. So the reality is that a customer might want the problem solved, but are they willing to pay for it? And so a really simple way that you can test this out is to look at creating either a landing page or a buy now button for that particular service feature that you might be thinking about going to create. So let's say you're looking at creating an extra product, which is how to upskill your virtual assistant team, your VA team. Mm -hmm. And you're going, okay, I'm not sure whether people will buy it, but rather than going out and building, we might go, okay, I'm going to create a little button on the button, which is products how to upskill your VA team program. It's an online course and you could put a little page on there and then you have a buy now button. So people are visiting the page at saying there's a problem that people want solved. And if they're clicking on the buy now, then it's going, aha, uh-huh, 
you're validating that there's going to be a financial return mm. in that one. So old school thinking used to be, oh, if you've got an idea, go out there and make it. And, you know, the reality is I've wasted a lot of time and money over the years before I kind of got a bit smarter about and realised actually I might like the idea but it's not working for other people. So ah, test it okay. um, before you go out there and build it. So with a buy yeah. now, are you saying we don't even have to put actual dollar amount? It's really about testing if people are clicking onto a buy now? <clears throat> exactly. And so if it goes on, then you go to a page where it might say, thanks so much for your interest. We're not quite ready to launch mm-hmm. yet, but please leave your name and your details and we'll make sure that you're first in the list. And there are countless examples of massive startups that started that way by, by assessing, you know, what that audience is. You can do other things, like you could do a video demonstration, which also helps to show what that potential solution might be. I mean, give you a classic example, Dropbox. I'm sure you're familiar with Dropbox. That was basically overnight, the, the, the founder, I can't remember his name, but he created a video demonstration of what the product was going to do and went from, I think, 6,000 to 70,000 subscribers overnight to his things. What do you think that meant? So, okay, I can mortgage my house on this, or I can go to a capital a venture capitalist and, and look at all of this sort of money. And he went amazingly successfully through his career by using demonstrations. But it was also, it, I haven't built it yet, but I want to check out where people are doing that. That's excellent. Now, the other thing that you mentioned on LinkedIn, which I was really interested in to talk about is the whole thing where someone's mentioning the smart goal and you were like, I actually focus on the process goal. And yeah, that intrigued my curiosity. Can you explain more about that? Yeah. And, you know, I have to give credit where credit's due. I learned this from my sports psychologist of all things. In my spare time, I jump off cliffs I'm a hang glider pilot and I've represented Australia in the world championships a couple of times. Just about this time last year, I was going to represent Australia in Italy for the world championships. But I also had a little baby that was due that was going to be about three weeks after the competition finished. And my wife was a little bit nervous. I was a bit nervous. And I'd heard that the year before there had been a number of accidents No one had died, but it can happen in that sport. So I was more nervous than normal. And anyway, so I wanted to do some work around, you know, helping to deal with this thing. And one of the things that happens in in this sport is unlike a little competition where you, like a running race where you run from the start to the finish, when you're hang gliding, you're flying thermals and they're invisible. So it's not that always easy to get around the course to a place that we call a goal. So you might be flying 100 or 200 kilometres And so if you don't make it there or if you don't go well, it's really easy to beat yourself up, even though you achieved what you would say, I made it to goal. And one of the things that my sports psychologist Meg shared with me is that the athlete who only obsesses about winning, like my goal is to win the gold medal championship at the world at the Olympics. If they don't get that, then their negative self-talk that comes in after that is just horrible because mm-hmm. they're going to be saying, I'm no good, I didn't win, even though for their skill level or for the conditions, they might have done really well. So what I learned was the concept of process goals. So process goals, being clear about how you want to perform and execute all of the actions that you need in order to get to your outcome goal. So let's say my outcome goal might be to increase my sales by gaining 50 new customers. Clear, specific, measurable by whatever date, easy to do. But more important is to go, well, in order for me to achieve that goal, what are those process activities I'm going to need to do 
daily, weekly, monthly or one-off in order to do that. Okay, I'm going to need to create, I'm going to need to overhaul the website. I'm going to need to do some advertising. I'm going to need to um, do some social media posting. I'm going to need to have some sales conversations. And then I could look at them going, okay, so how do I want to execute those? And by looking at them as process goals, I know that if, if I do those process activities, I might not meet the goal, right? But I know that I'm doing everything that was within my control. An outcome goal is outside of my control. I can't control whether the economy drops. I can't control whether a customer says no, but I can control those activities of posting and everything else. And so what it means is that you've got less likely to have goal fatigue or a self-destructive thinking, which can happen so often. I'm sure we've all done it before at the start of the year, a new calendar year, we set all these massive goals and then comes to the end of the year and you go, oh, I didn't really do that or I did do that. And usually the reason why we're beating ourselves up is it's all outcome goal. So it's not don't have an outcome goal, have an outcome goal, but have a process goal in the meantime and it really works well. Want to make a difference in others' lives? Join us in providing food, medical supplies, and daily living necessities to tribal communities living in extreme poverty in the Philippines. For as little as $50, you can feed a whole village and have peace of mind that 100% of your donations goes directly to those in need. Be a part of our OA Love Projects and visit OutsourcingAngel.com. So you're saying that as long as you do well in your process goal and you've ticked the checklist, even if you don't achieve the outcome, how do you actually not feel bad? At, like, kind of like, do you then go, okay, I, I just need to give myself another year? Or like, what would we hope that we would say to ourselves? So if you didn't get the outcome, it's more than likely there was something that happened outside of your control. You know, it might've been bad weather conditions. It might've been just a freak of nature. So when you see it that way, you actually, it's very hard to beat yourself up. If, however, those things that there were things that were under your control that didn't do, then you thought, okay, well, maybe, yeah. maybe that goal where I said I needed to do two posts a week should have been four posts a week, or I should have actually got someone to help me with my copywriting rather than me doing themselves. And a good way to break them down even further is to think of when I look at reviewing and I do this either weekly or sometimes daily or after a project is you can think of tactical, technical, mental, physical, or emotional, or logistical. So you might go, okay, for this project that we've just done, let's say I've just done a campaign, an advertising campaign, tactically, were the decisions, this is based on the decisions that we took based on trying to get, were they the right type of decisions? You know what, based on those, those goals, yep, I'll give myself an eight out of 10. Technically, how did I go executing them? Did I do what I was supposed to do? Yep, I'll give myself a nine. How did I go mentally? You know, I felt pretty calm, pretty cool. Give myself a seven. But, you know, how did I go logistically? Uh, maybe a six. You know, I, I should have outsourced more. I should have spoken to yeah. Lynn to get someone to help me on that one. And again, what this is about is that we don't have personality flaws. We have behavioral flaws. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? I think it was the awesome behavioralist, Dr. BJ Fogg, wrote a great book. Check it out. Tiny Habits. He's got a, he's a behavioralist from Stanford University. I think he says something like, we don't have personality flaws, we have behavioral flaws. And often they're just learnt behavior. So our behavior is let's beat ourselves up. So no, it's not us. This is what the activities that I did, I need to change the behaviors. 
not change me as a person. I'm fine. I just need to change some of those behaviors. Wow. And I love that you've just got a framework for everything. Tell us more about those. I think you've got how many books out there? What are the difference in the books? Because I mean, I really want to read your books right now. And I'd love to hear to know which book to read first. Good question. Well, so back in my heyday, when I used to do lots of yoga, I've got a, a book called Life's Little Toolbox, which I think I put out for free or now. That's sort of more of a health and well-being type stuff. But I, I wrote the next book then was Ideas with Legs. And that's pretty much a book to help people to come up with an idea from scratch and then go out there and create a product. And I'm sure as all business owners will know, we usually have something like that. And I also talk about in that book around some of the obstacles that we can have, mental obstacles, logistical obstacles, because the reality is if we try and say it's easy, hey, I'm lying, we've all had obstacles. So I'd rather try and unpack what them what they are. I've got another book called Innovation Archetypes, which is more around principles of innovation. And there's a new book that I'm working on right now, just editing it, not quite ready to go, but it's all about reinvention. And that has some really, really cool hacks. So I'll have to keep your Mm. audience aware of that when it comes out, because that's an exciting one for me. Yeah. So what is like the difference between innovation and reinvention? Like, That's a really good question. And I kind of came across the distinction a few years ago. It was probably a little bit more around work. What, What I found was that, there were a lot of clients that would say that they love innovation and that they would have it on their value statement or on their poster or even on their business cards. But when you actually really got down to it, they didn't want to innovate, frankly, because they were scared of innovation. They wouldn't say it, but they would go, basically, innovation inherently involves a bit of risk. So when there's risk, people go, no. And it wasn't until some years ago I learned from a great psychologist by the name of Dr. Heidi Grant might be now. She might have changed her name, Heidi Grant Halverson. Anyway, she's from Columbia University. and She's one of the foremost motivation scientists in the world. And she wrote a book around the focus of motivation. And she identified that there are two types of motivational preferences. One, which is called prevention, focused motivation, and the other one is promotion. So prevention is what are all the ways you can make sure no mistakes happen to avoid all of the bad stuff. And the promotion is what are all the ways you can make more money, save time, do this and do that. And I always used to sort of do my marketing and advertising from a promotion-based thing. Mm. And what I found was that even though generalization in the population, the general population, we have a 50-50 split, that when people go into a working role, even though they might be promotionally focused in their real life, like yourself, when you go into work, we default 90 to 95% of the population to this prevention-based focused motivation. So what that means is, is that we're, we're not interested in the ways we can make more money, even though we are, we're more worried mm. about what ways can you make sure you don't lose money. Mm. And so what I started to do is I started to change my languaging around not create new products to to generate new income streams, I would say how to make sure that your competitor doesn't outcompete you with their new product Mm. range. So it's saying the same thing, but in a different way. And the more I researched, the more I realized that even though I've been running, you know, innovation programs for almost 20 years now, that there was a bit of a disconnect because of the word innovation, because of the risk. And once I started to talk about the concept of reinvention, even though there are a lot of innovation principles in there, but putting more of an emphasis on let's revisit what we've done in the past, but let's rethink it 
and let's test it, let's eliminate the risk, then people got more excited by it. Mm. And I think especially in the current economy and current corona economy and all that stuff that's going on now, people more than ever, they're avoiding risk. They don't want to do something dangerous, but they know they need to do something. So the concept of reinvention is right on brand and it's what people want right now. Gotcha. Yeah, reinvention definitely sounds more easier. Sounds like it's just a little change. So is there a kind of like an ideal time frame of when we should relook at reinvention? Because, you know, sometimes you get comfortable. Like you said, you know, we try to avoid pain. And then let's say we do reinvent and we get comfortable. Things are working. Is there a sort of a time when you're just part of reviewing? Otherwise, you get stagnant again? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, obviously, an, an annual review to look out, a look back over your business is always a good thing to do. And when I work with clients, what we always do is we look at four different areas. So we go, right, should we be looking at how we reinvent what we build, the processes that we have in our business, how we sell what we've got as an offering or how we deliver? And usually there's one of those that sort of actually stands out. We might go, well, let's say if I've got more of a physical product type of business right now, I'm probably going, you know what, we need to rethink how we build this because our supply chain where we used to get this from China or wherever is completely been up delivered, or maybe how we deliver this, we used to deliver face-to-face programs. We can't do that anymore. We need to change this in a different way. And so by doing something annually, then it gives you a little bit of a chance to look at it. And we always suggest when people are looking at things rather than just going in willy-nilly to create a start and a finish. So identify a project that might be 90 days because it's not too short, it's not too long, and it's got a beginning and end that people can see. So that way you might go, okay, I'm going to do you know, it might be four reinventions or if you did one every quarter, it might be two, but at least I've got a quarter to start and finish a reinvention. And the more you get onto it, then you might, depending on the size of your team, you might go, you know, what do you think we should reinvent? And you might divvy it up and you can gamify that as well by tracking that progress over the year. Yeah, excellent. So what are some of, I guess, the results that you've been able to get for clients? Like, because sometimes people are like, well, if it's not broken, why fix it? Or why should I change when things are working? So they can't see the benefit of actually making changes. So what have been some of your results you've been able to achieve? Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you an example of something that happened only just the last couple of months. So we worked with an awesome environmental design, I guess you call them environmental consultant agency. So they would work with a company and say, right, we want to do what's called a life cycle assessment, or we want to look at the sustainability systems that you've got in place. They, They work with some awesome giant organizations. And one of the things that they wanted to do is come up with a product that would respond to the corona economy. And so what we did is we helped facilitate and help them teach them about idea generation. Basically, we we identified an insight, which was an opportunity that didn't exist in the market, which for them, and I'm allowed to share what this story is, is that they identified that people aren't quite sure whether having people working from home is actually really more beneficial for the business or not. And so they kind of said, well, what if we could build a product around that? And, and we said, right, before we do that, let's actually validate this is a problem that people are interested mm-hmm. in and that they would be willing to buy it. And then we kind of flushed that out. So we, we could validate that, yes, this was something that people were willing to buy. And within two weeks, we had a prototype and they had a client, a new client, brand new client that said, we want to try this. 
and let's make it happen. So they had a paid client within two weeks for an absolute new product that's up and running now. So I think that was a very good example. Another good example, very, very different. I work with sometimes some larger organizations like big manufacturers. I was working with an R&D team, research and development team, and they had a certain number of what we would say commercial patents that they produce every year. And we said, well, what if we could double that? You know, what would be the commercial value of that? I said, oh, that would be amazing. So what we did, it was over a 12-month period. It was a fair bit of work to go. But we worked on their culture. We worked on how they were finding out what customers really needed because the R&D people were kind of just working in their own world. They didn't know what they'd forgotten, what customers really wanted. And from that, they generated great ideas. We worked on their prototyping and they managed to double the output of intellectual property. So it essentially meant they had both intellectual ideas or IP that they could use within without having to go to the trademark office and the other one externally as well. So that was a a very big result that I like to recall that one. Yeah, That's (laughs) awesome. How do people connect with you? Yeah, the easiest way is to come and check out our website. It's ideaswithlegs.com. We've got a couple of amazing resources on there because we're always about trying to deliver value. There's a process map that takes people from scratch, how they can reinvent part of their their product and their process. There's a whole stack of things there, but also on LinkedIn, you can find me there at Nils Vesk. That's probably the easiest way to go about it. Yeah, definitely sign up to your mailing list because you always send awesome emails out with a lot of downloadables and resources and PDFs. I'm like, yeah, you really do put effort in it. So that's awesome. I'm going to take you to my next segment. This is called the high five. So this is where I'm going to ask you five questions and you just have to choose between this or that and elaborate on the answer so that we get to know you a little bit. Okay, number one, January or December? January because it's my birthday in January. Okay, number two, ideas or strategies? I'm going to go ideas because I'm quite strategic anyway. I'm going to go ideas, yeah. Yeah, why? I think a lot of people strategize too much and then they don't actually ever do anything about it. You know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. I tend to think a lot of people struggle more with ideas that are different to what everyone else is doing. And there's so much competition each and every day that I think you need to think differently. So ideas, I think. You know, Good point. Strategy is obviously important, yeah. Good point. All right, third, red or white wine? I would go white wine, even though my parents made their own red wine for many, many years. I'm not Australian, but I love the New Zealand Mulder Estate sort of, you know, because Sauvignon Blanc over there would be beautiful. Yeah. Ah, also, I used to be a white and then I turned to red and then I went to rosé now, actually. I'm up to number four, walk on the beach or hiking through the rainforest? Well, I live on the beach, so I get to do the walk beach, but right now rainforest would be good because I don't don't get to do that as often. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. All right, final question. Would you like a private full-time chef or private full-time house cleaner? I think probably the chef at the moment, just because, you know, I've got a little little daughter, so that would probably alleviate more. Actually, I don't mind cleaning. I, I'm okay at cooking, but I probably prefer to have the chef there. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Whenever I ask this, I, I also get to imagine that life. So we got to know you there. I've got just two more questions before I let you go. One is because this is a kind boss, I love to hear from you. What does a kind boss mean to you? I think a kind boss for me means about genuinely thinking about the welfare of who your staff might be or your team members. It's easy to think about, you know, how can I get them to do more? How can I get them to do this and do that? The reality is we can only do so so much. And if 
let's say, for example, if someone does something wrong, they've, they haven't done that intentionally. You know, people don't go to work to make mistakes. Well, maybe if you work for <laughs> the council, I'm not sure. But, and so it's, it's sometimes easy to, to get caught into that, oh, they've done something wrong. No, if a mistake was made, it's because either the process was bad or the communication was poor and it's mm. not about the people. That's one of the reasons actually why we've done a lot of mistake workshops where we look at mistake, debunking mistakes and re what we call it kind of like flipping mistakes because the mistakes cause so much animosity, resentment. They cause people to leave businesses. They can ruin businesses. And yet, you know, the reality is it's just a process that's wrong. Let's, let's fix it. Let's not yeah. make it personal. Yeah. I love it. I think now that I, I can really understand, if you have a problem in business, just come to Neil and he's just going to figure out, he'll give you an idea where to go, what to do, because it seems like you're just full of ideas and you can kind of fix anything, right? And it feels like you have a process for everything. We do have lots of processes, but, you know, we definitely don't say that we can do everything. But in the lens of you want to reinvent something, you want to fix a process and, and products, we definitely have lots of things. And I think, you know, and if there isn't a process, we've usually created one because that's what our clients are always looking for. It's like, how can we get from point A to point B? And we want to get to point B and it's a special place. We want to get there fast. And that's how our, how our success is, I guess, determined is how we can help our clients get there. Yeah. Love, love, love. But all right. Last question for you is what do you want the world to remember Niels for? I think generally, I think I've been brought onto this planet to, I feel like I've made so many mistakes, really. I, the reason why people think I know a lot is because I've made so many mistakes. And those are mistakes around helping people come up with an idea and take it out there to the world. So if I can be remembered for anything apart from being a, a great father, a great husband, would be to have helped people realise that everyone is capable of creating a great idea and everyone is capable of taking that great idea out there that could change an industry, it could change a life, or who knows, it could even change the world. Wow, amazing. I'm so excited to read your books, actually. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to go through them because I'm just excited to see what's in there because you're definitely, whenever I'm reading even your posts on LinkedIn, it's like very different. So for those of you listening, connect with Niels on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for being on my show. I had a blast with you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and um, best of luck to everyone listening today. Thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this interview has inspired and humbled you to be a kind boss. Please don't forget to subscribe to our channel and let us know what you think about our show. If you have any questions, please visit OutsourcingAngel.com. Until then, stay kind and spread love.